Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. This is Sex and Science Hour. It's episode 25 of season two. And you know what that means, Brian? We're going on vacation after this. Thank you. It's been a <laughs> grueling season of work. No, it really hasn't. No, it's we, not grueling. We, we try to make this show as little work as possible. We've had a lot of fun doing this show for season two. This was like a, you know, it was like a back into action kind of thing because yeah. we did take a two year vacation before season between seasons one and two. Yeah. This time though, between seasons two and three, we're only taking a three week vacation, so yep. you will not be deprived for too long. And Brian, you have a plan to uh, keep keep the sex and science hour sweaties, uh, you know, shot up with their sex and science hour juice as it were absolutely yeah we're gonna, <laughs> the feed will be full yeah so. we're gonna be releasing some classic episodes from season one bringing them back uh, in case you missed them the first time and of course there will be a, a playlist for season two and season one on sex and science hour.com up very shortly as soon as we get this released pretty much um but yeah it's been it's been really fun and you know I think uh, we've done a little science experiment of our own. Mm-hmm. The show always starts out better when we kiss during the <laughs> intro music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. When we're just. We shut off the microphones before it because you don't want to hear smacking sounds or yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a full lip lock. You know, I mean, it sounds like a cow just like trying to pull its foot out of a mud. I mean, <laughs> you're not painting a very beautiful picture. No, I have to you're say. right. That's true. But... <laughs> Sorry. Okay. It may sound like that, but it looks beautiful. It feels amazing. It feels oh. great. Yes. So, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to make that a tradition um, for season three. All right. What do you say, Brian? I, a makeout session before every <laughs> do episode. Do I even okay. have to ask? Yeah, <laughs> let's do this. So you're a hell of a kisser. Thank you. So are you, Brian? Thank but nobody you. wants to hear about that. What they no. really want to hear about is how they were wrong and how they've been. <laughs> no, they probably don't want to hear about that. But <laughs> the news came out this week, Brian, that uh, is going to really disappoint some folks and oh, is going to no. make others like us probably laugh and go, aha, I told you so. Uh, because we've been saying this for a while. But apparently, it's news to a lot of people. Activity trackers like Fitbit and uh, what is what are some of the other ones? I don't know. I mean, Fitbit clones and wannabes, let's just say. Um, they don't actually help you lose weight. Shocker. Really? I know, right? They've never been scientifically tested. Well, now they have. And it showed that they are basically inaccurate. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> no. Tell me more. So um, this is from the New York Times. 
Oh, you can't trust them. (laughs) No, I know a bunch of other people have talked about it. Wearable activity monitors can count your steps and track your movements, but they don't apparently help you lose weight. In fact, you might lose more weight without them. (laughs) The fascinating finding comes from a study published in JAMA that found dieting adults who wore activity monitors for 18 hours... Sorry. (laughs) Dieting adults who wore activity monitors for 18 months that's a year and a half, Mm -hmm. lost significantly fewer pounds over that time than those who did not. The results suggest that activity monitors monitors may not change our behavior in the way that we expected and raise interesting questions about the tangled relationships between exercise, eating, our willpower, and our waistlines. So what they did was basically they had somebody who was the guinea pig, basically, Uh or a couple, a group of people who were the guinea pigs. They walked around and they wore a Fitbit and, you know, pedometer and it counted their steps. Then they actually had a person following them around at the same time, counting their steps manually. Okay. And they wore one of those masks that measures how much oxygen you're burning. So it's a true, accurate, scientific measure of how many calories your calories you're using up or burning because it measures the oxygen consumption. And, um, then they compared it to how much the the Fitbit said that you burned while they were exercising and doing their daily activities, and it was way off. They were all different counts. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know we had talked in the past about how, like, you know, as as, as a sleep tracker, that you know, it, Fitbit doesn't know if you're sleeping or you know if you if you're if you're just laying a club there or something laying like, there silently. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it can't tell the difference. Like it doesn't really understand. You know, it's not very good at this. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest problem with these is that they probably to me, it seems like they take the focus off of where it should be, which is connecting with your body and mm-hmm. connecting with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. If you need a device or an app to tell you whether you got a good sleep or not, that's a problem that might indicate that you're not very connected to how you're feeling. Sure. Right. Because if I don't get a good sleep, I can tell I don't need an app to tell me that. <laughs> Though I have to admit that I think the reports of, uh, you know, middle of the night alien abductions have dropped significantly since Fitbits came out. So maybe it is serving some kind of purpose because the aliens are like, oh shit, he's got a Fitbit. You yeah, know, let's they're, they're going to know what over. happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I jest. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know how many blurry pictures there are of like Nessie and like ghosts and aliens and mm-hmm. shit like that. You would think nowadays with people, you know, having ubiquitous cell phone cameras all over the place, there would be a lot more aliens and zo- cryptozoological creatures and Bigfoots and Nessies captured on film, but uh, oh, apparently geez. not. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, the best they still have is like grainy photos from the 1980s, you know? Yep. Well, on a Polaroid camera or on a whatever film. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, actually, I brought this up to somebody and their response, because they and this is somebody that actually believes in this shit and their response, because I don't, was that uh, people um, are too busy looking at their screens to even notice that there's anything to photograph now. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I think <laughs> that's I mean, they may be on to something. It's a good answer. It, it might be because those things don't exist. But <laughs> right. I mean, that's my answer. <laughs> but I but... think he's on to something that people are too busy looking at their screens. And that's the same thing with this Fitbit. It's like if you're just constantly looking at your app to, you know, figure out how many calories you burned or get statistics about yourself, but you're not actually checking in with how you feel. Mm-hmm. And whether you feel better or healthier or not, um, that's a problem. I think similarly with a lot of people nowadays, the focus for them in their fitness 
life or whatever, the the reason they exercise and the reason they diet is to look good, right? Sure. They're look not doing it for health. They're right. not doing it to feel better and to look better because they're healthier. Right. Like beauty is just a reflection of health, I think. Oh, that's what I think real beauty is. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And that's what it that's what we evolved to to find attractive is indicators of health and fertility mm-hmm. and youth. And so, you know, how <laughs> Trying to fake those things versus trying to get them because you are really vital and you are really healthy are two completely different things. And I think the Fitbit and all these apps that track your fitness, maybe they can be useful to some extent, but you really have to have that connection with yourself and your body to get the most out of them. I'd go so far as to say it might be a made-up industry just to sell some shit. They are uh, pretty expensive, and it's possible to lose weight and look great um, and be healthy with without buying one of these things. That's right. Without buying anything, really, except uh, maybe some good quality food, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get, like, the sleep tracker aspect. I know a lot of people have genuine problems with falling asleep, you know, and, and there's a lot going on there. But I think, I don't think a Fitbit could actually tell a lot of people what may be really causing their sleep issues, mm. you know. And that's might a, even keep you up, because if you're looking at a screen, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the things they say keeps people awake because the blue light from computer and phone screens like goes in your eyes and your brain thinks it's noon when it's really midnight sure and, and I, I just all wanna, kinds of screwed up <laughs> yeah i want to make one quick suggestion mm-hmm. and that is uh, go to grc.com okay and this is the website of a personal hero of mine steve gibson who does the security now podcast he has a sleep formula it's this you know little concoction oh. that he's made that people like swear by this they sleep by it like literally, and it gives them an amazing night's sleep. I recommend checking that out. Is it like an herbal thing, or is uh, it, no? It's it's a it's lifestyle stuff. It, no, it's it's a it's a, a concoction. It's a, a it's a, something like, you swallow. Yeah, like okay. there's a lot of different type of uh, herbs you know, p- uh, pills that you take, and oh. I mean, it, like it's this huge mixture. It's very tough to explain, but he does this whole page totally for free. You know, and but you got to buy the stuff. But just check it out. You don't have to buy it from him. He just points you where to get it. Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Damn right. <laughs> so yeah, grc.com and, and stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. All right. Okay. So if you don't like your head, it may now be possible to transplant a different head. What? Onto your body. If you don't like your, well, wait a minute. If you don't like your body. <laughs> no, that's not actually what it was for. Now there's been, you know, of course, a lot of interest in head transplantation as a science, as a medical discipline. Oh, honestly, this has been forever. The forever. Russians. Uh, forever. Yeah. I mean, for a very long time, this has been something talked about. But anyway, go ahead. You know, and wouldn't it be great if your body was not serving you well anymore? If you could just take your head and just like kind of like plop it onto <laughs> something else. Another person's a younger body, perhaps. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> Or, you know, for, for people who have spinal cord injuries, you know, if they get paralyzed because their spinal, they have a spinal cord injury, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could somehow restore that connection that oh, was, yeah. that was severed and get them to be able to walk and move around again? Yeah. Um, so of course, there's been a lot of interest in this. Previous attempts have, you know, miserably failed. It's a lot harder to transplant a whole head onto a different body than you might think. Well, but, there's so many, I mean, it's just the spinal cord, right? But, 
It's yeah, you could say on one hand, it's just a spinal cord. It looks like a bundle of spaghetti, but all those those are all like information superhighways exactly. of nerves that are have to connect to the exact right nerve to be able to control that exact right thing in the body. Right. So it's very complicated. Yeah, I mean, and so many of these connections like are have learned to interact with other connections, and like they've they've grown in a very specific way, or they've developed. Yes, I should say, in some a very people think way. that's exactly why spinal cord injuries don't heal because if they were if if you were to get a spinal cord injury in let's say in nature or whatever mm-hmm. and it were to heal wrong like you would be trying to move your arm and you'd be moving your leg instead or exactly. your penis or something right <laughs> so right. you know that might be that even more <laughs> that might be even more disastrous than if you were just paralyzed yes. right <laughs> so some people speculate that that's why it doesn't heal naturally but anyway there's been a researcher a person who has claimed to have made great progress in the area of head transplantation and this is from newscientist.com head transplant teams new animal tests fail to convince critics so there's obviously people who are saying no way he hasn't done this this is bullshit But this scientist is claiming that his team has made progress on this. So this is by Helen Thompson. Video footage from seen by new scientists appears to show a dog walking three weeks after its spinal cord was almost completely severed. Now, this is unheard of. Italian neurosurgeon Sergio Canavero says the technique helped. uh, It says the technique used to treat the dog will make a human head transplant possible next year. Next year. That's a bold fucking claim, (laughs) Sergio. (laughs) Canavero came to fame in 2015, so he hasn't been around for too long. I don't know if I trust him. Mm. Uh, Came to fame in 2015 when he claimed that the major hurdles to completing a head transplant are now surmountable. The idea that someone paralyzed from the neck down, for example, could have their head connected to the body of someone who is brain dead, restoring their ability to move. However, papers published today detailing the spinal cord repair technique applied to the dog have prompted other scientists to express concerns over the work. These papers do not support moving forward in humans, said Jerry Silver, a neuroscientist at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio. To fuse two ends of a spinal cord, either someone who has broken their spine or to connect a transplanted head to a donor body, the ends of thousands of neurons need to meet across the join. Bunched together like strands of spaghetti, if these neurons don't touch, they will grow past each other and never form the electricity-conducting pathways that send nerve impulses through the body. By the way, this is a total tangent, but I just couldn't help but think of this. Did you know those those pasta spoons, like the ones with the teeth, mm-hmm. and it has a hole in the middle? You know what that hole is for? What? It's for measuring one serving of pasta. That's how much in one serving of pasta is. It fits in that hole. Did you know that? Uh, no. I know. I never knew it either until I saw it on some chef show. That's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> when they said strands of spaghetti, that's what I thought of. All right. So anyway, uh, back to the story. In a series of three papers, all co-authored by Canavero for the s- journal Surgical Neurology International, researchers in South Korea and the U.S. claim that a chemical called polyethylene glycol, or PEG, very common thing, may help reconnect a severed spinal cord. See Yoon Kim at Konkuk University in Seoul and his team, who have been working closely with Canavero, severed the spinal cords of 16 mice. Then they injected PEG into the gap between the cut ends of the spinal cord in half of the mice, while the rest were injected with saline. After four weeks, they report that five of the eight mice in the PEG group had regained some ability to move, compared with none in the control group. 
the other three peg-treated mice died, <laughs> as did all of those in the control group. Okay, so sever their spinal cord, do a head transplant. Yeah, you're guaranteed to die if you don't do anything. But if you inject this peg thing into the gap between the two ends of the spinal cord, they have like about a half chance of survival. That's that's pretty good. That seems to improve the odds, right? It's interesting. Okay. Graphene scaffold. So there's another idea. Meanwhile, a team at Rice University in Houston, Texas, has been working to develop a better version of PEG. Hearing about Canvera's plans to use the solution in a human head transplant, the team believed it could improve it by adding graphene nanoribbons, an electrically clean conductive material that acts as a scaffold along which neurons can grow. Now, this is getting really interesting. My motivation is spinal cord repair. If this works, it's going to have huge ramifications for spinal injuries, said James Tor, who is part of the Rice team. But we thought if you're going to be working towards a head transplant, you're going to need this. So let us help you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, I I mean, you got to admit, like, there's gonna, there's plenty of opportunity of people either on their deathbed or people that died for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Where this for could get to tested pretty fast. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, and, and like, like there's plenty of volunteers and whatever else I think that this could actually happen. Oh, with. there's people who have life insurance policies from Alcor, which is oh, right. a life insurance organization that they, when you die, they, as long as your head is intact, I guess, when you yeah. die, when you die, they will sever your head and perfuse it with, some kind of cryoprotectant so the blood doesn't form like ice crystals in your brain and shred it up. Um, they will preserve your head and keep it in the freezer until head transplants become right. possible in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, so it, right, because they have two ways. You can either do the whole body or they offer the head because they right. say, really, that's all you but need. But they actually, I think they... I don't know. We have a friend who has this insurance policy yeah. and he wears a necklace around all the time that says, if I die... Contact these people and you know give me I don't know blood anti clotting things and yeah. do this keep my body on ice <laughs> until they get there with the heads right. chainsaw to cut off. Yeah, my head. I think it's great. I'm a huge fan of cryonics, but yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I don't have that policy. I might consider getting it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, PEG encourages the fat in cell membranes to mesh, bringing the cells together. A process that seems to be enhanced by that may be enhanced by the nano ribbons, which are thought to provide scaffolding that encourages neurons to grow towards each other and connect. Tor says they do this in two ways. They're able to conduct electrical current, which helps the neurons grow, and neurons seem to preferentially grow along the scaffolding, which helps them to meet and fuse together. The South Korean team has nicknamed Tor's enhanced solution Texas Peg (laughs) and injected it into five rats' spinal cords immediately after they had been severed. Five control rats were given saline instead. The following day, the the team stimulated the rat's spinal cords to see if any electrical activity could pass along it. According to the team's paper, a small amount of electrical signals were present in the Texas PEG group, but completely absent in the controls. The group state that a flood in the lab... Oh, God. A flood in the lab? Well, I guess Houston. Houston had flooding. Yes. Oh, that's what happened. Oh, shit. Just when it was getting good. The group stated that a flood in the lab subsequently killed four of the five rats that had been treated with Texas PEG. Two days after the surgery, the remaining rat is reported to have shown slight voluntary movement in all four paws. And a week later, it was able to stand, but it had difficulty balancing. 
After two weeks, the team says the rat could walk, stand up on its hind limbs, and feed itself. No recovery was observed in the controls, says Kim. Now that sounds pretty amazing. Wow, and it sounds like nature really doesn't like the idea of immortality. And uh, <laughs> it's like, that, well, I'm going to flood one, that shit. Jesus, that one rat, <laughs> that was a tough fucking rat, wasn't it? He certainly, not only did he survive a spinal cord injury, he survived a flood. I'd say, I'd say that experiment went off with flying colors. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then they did something kind of similar in dogs. But the crit- the critics say they're not ready for humans. You can't you can't just cut the spinal cord and expect it to reattach. Um, I think this is exciting. I think this is uh, yeah. I'm kind of excited about this. This yeah. is pretty interesting. I mean, it could get all Frankenstein's monster, but I think it's exciting. <laughs> More coming up. This is Sex and Science Hour. Monsters, yeah, you know it's Halloween pretty soon, right, Brian? Yeah. Sometimes monsters out. can be cute, you know. They can be like little sweet little monsters. Like Count know? Chocula? Yeah, like Count Chocula or like <laughs> like what are those those Booberry? Yeah, Booberry, <laughs> that kind of thing. Like cute, cute little ghosties or something. Benicula? Sometimes they can uh, sneak up on you in the middle of the night and peg you. No, I'm just kidding. Whoa. <laughs> uh, we are Not into me. the we are into the <laughs> sex segment here. Um, and I've got a longer segment for the third segment. This is going to okay. be a listener email blowout. It's Bonanza. like going out of business sale because we're going out for the vacation between the seasons. We've got three listener emails and an article to get to. We'll see if we get to them all. Love it. Um, this article is from our producer and it's called The Night I Let My Wife Peg Me. Whoa. <laughs> uh, there, there's the peg joke. From right. Roll Reboot. Now, I have to warn you, this is going to get graphic. So if you have any children in your car or if you're anywhere or if you can't stand hearing about this, then you may want to turn this off or fast forward. Fast forward about eh, maybe 20 minutes through the segment and you will skip over this part. Now, I thought this was really interesting. This is basically an article by a conservative Christian uh, (laughs) husband who... They decided to try something different to spice up the bedroom. And I thought it was fascinating because it describes the practice of pegging. Now, what is pegging? Pegging is when a heterosexual couple or a male-female couple, um, the woman dons a strap-on and uh, penetrates the man anally, and it's called pegging. So it's basically reversing the roles. The woman gets to be the penetrative partner and the man gets to be the receptive partner for once. And if they're just using their natural genital equipment, obviously it's reversed. So um, some people love this because they get to experience the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do something completely different. Some people say, um, you know, now as a woman personally, I have never done this, but I think it's interesting because I would... There have been, you know, there's some men who I just really wish they had empathy for what it's like to be penetrated. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be, in some ways, it can be more work. Like, often the the penetrative partner is doing the physical work. Like, they're doing some more thrusting, you know, although both partners can thrust, certainly. Um, But emotionally, it's... To have somebody, to trust somebody to put something inside your body Mm -hmm. and not hurt you with it, you know, because they could hurt you more easily, basically. There has to be a lot more trust. There has to be, you know, relaxing and like knowing that it's going to be okay. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, 
I, I don't know. It's a very intimate act, obviously, sure. when somebody puts something inside your body in any way. And for the receptive partner, there can just be some additional emotions involved. And so I think, you know, reversing roles in this way is really cool because it allows the person who's normally doing the penetrating to experience what it's like to be penetrated. Uh-huh. You know, with people who are into uh, BDSM, sometimes the the best uh, the best dominant people say that they learned by being submissive and, and right. seeing what it's like to be on the receiving end of what they're giving out. And that's sure. what makes them such a good dom because they've been the sub. And it's, I don't know, I think it could kind of be the same thing with, um, with just regular sex, right? Penetrative sex. So I think pegging is very interesting. Um, Brian will not do this. He's not no. interested in it. Nope. And that's fine. I, you know, I respect <laughs> it. And, you know, I've asked you a couple times, but you've always said, no, I'm not interested in this. And yeah. this is, um, this is just something I don't want to do. And I respect that. Yeah. No, I appreciate Brian. That. And I know you have empathy for me anyway. Yeah. So thanks. Um, but I still think it's very interesting. So I want to read this article here. Graciously provided by our producer. Uh, the night I wet, let my wife peg me. Are you man enough to explore the back door? <laughs> I love that. Almost two years ago, he says, Nicole Rogers of Roll Reboot linked to an article in Salon about pegging, male, female on male, anal sex, with the wicked title of Bringing Up the Rear. <laughs> Nicole's synopsis of the article observed, if this is not an example of the changing roles and expectations of men and women, I'm not sure what it is. Count me as agreeing strongly. I grew up rather sexually sheltered, my wife Kathy too. By the time we met, I was slightly more experienced than her. The first time we had intercourse, the look on her face said it all, a mixture of fear, trust, love, and shame. She was a bit traumatized and confused, but in the end, very proud and satisfied. We were married two years later, and our relationship was very satisfying. We began to overcome all of the inhibitions that had been put into us all those years. We had what we thought was a successful marriage, complete with four kids. On the career side, Kathy became much more confident and assertive. Wait, wait, wait. This, these are Christians? I think they say that later, yeah. Getting it on two years before marriage? Oh, well, maybe they're not Christian, but they're conservative. Anyway, okay. I, right, I don't right. know. That's fine. Plenty no, no, of Christians. No, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> Things changed in bed, too. Kathy became more assertive and more willing to have a good time. Years ago, she would giggle or cringe. At, years ago, she would giggle or cringe at an attempt to give her oral sex. Now she loves it. So, several years ago, she first brought up the idea of anal. <laughs> she'd been to a bachelorette party, and one of the women she'd been doing it said she'd been doing it with her husband, and it was great. I was, to put it mildly, petrified. <laughs> Visions of being gay ran through my head. She assured me I wasn't, but I tried to let the topic die. She wouldn't let it. <laughs> she brought it up the next morning. Eventually, we made a date for the next day to meet for lunch and go to a sex toy store. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me just put let me just uh, break in here. I think there are so many guys who are just afraid that there's a secret gay button in their butt. And if anything goes in there, it's going to get triggered and they're yeah. going to it's going to make him gay. Not true, <laughs> gentlemen, not true. I mean, maybe you are gay or maybe you're bisexual, mm. but if you're not, then having something in your butt is not going to change that. Right. Uh, and who knows? It could be a wonderful avenue of pleasure. There is uh, the prostate in there, and through the butt is the only way to get to the prostate, really, yeah. uh, to stimulate it. And some people claim that's like a male G-spot. It's like it's an amazing feeling to have it touched and stroked and stimulated, and it produces just rip-roaring, crazy orgasms with lots of um, 
fireworks <laughs> and <right>. waterworks. <laughs> so here's the thing. Now, I, I mean, I want you to continue with the article too, but mm-hmm. um, you know what? It, like what you were describing earlier about having empathy for getting penetrated and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. what if the person? I think. I kind of feel like there's a good chance that if, if the person doesn't have some degree of empathy for that already, that, you know, you might peg them and they want you to peg them hard. Like that, that guy is going to want you to peg them like really, really hard. And like, what if like, it doesn't create empathy. It, it creates the opposite effect. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I think, I, I think there is some advantage, uh, you know, and sometimes I wonder, you know, boy, what is it like to, to have something put in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know what? If, what if it creates the opposite effect? Like I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the people who don't have empathy. I think the men who have sex with women and don't have empathy for what it's like to mm-hmm. be penetrated are probably not going to be interested in pegging in the slightest. Yeah, that's. I'm not fair. saying you're one of those people no, no, because you're not interested in pegging. Mm-hmm. I think you have empathy, even though you're not interested in it. It's just that I think most people who would never try pegging and don't have empathy for their partner it, it could maybe go hand in hand for some of them yeah, you know yeah, yeah, they yeah. have no empathy and they don't have any interest in developing empathy for what it's yeah, like to yeah, be yeah. penetrated yeah so anyway but back to the article we went we looked and i was surprised at how many pegging toys there were <laughs> we both laughed and i found myself going along with things retreating from a no way attitude to one in which i was saying but that's way too big <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we settled for a harness with a dildo on the small side, but still long and wide enough to do its damage. To do its damage? Well, it's funny that they describe it that way, right? Then what is a regular, you know, penis doing? Yeah. <laughs> is, is it doing damage? <laughs> weird. I, I hope not, you know. <laughs> We eventually decided to do the deed on Saturday. The kids were over at a sitter's. We took our clothes off and we kissed and took an erotic shower. Now we were ready. She looked at me. Ready? Yeah, I can't. Oh, no. I said, ready? Yeah, I can't believe we're doing this. (laughs) I went over to the bed to lie down. She went over to a closet and finally reappeared, fully harnessed. I must have gasped. The sight of that missile protruding from her, meant for me, brought everything home. This was real. I was about to get fucked. (laughs) She smiled, sensing my apprehension. Don't worry, she said. There's nothing to be afraid of. She lay on top of me, pushed the tip of the dildo to my face, and asked me to lube it up, putting on as much as I wanted. I did, thoroughly. Then she got up, walked to the stereo, cranked it up really loud, and came back to bed. We talked about this moment, and I remembered all the rules. Be calm. Resist the urge to tighten up. It'll be fine. Okay, babe, she said. All ready? On my back, I spread my legs as wide apart as I could and lifted my bottom up. She looked at me, and the next thing I felt was a plastic sticky object rubbing up against my inner thigh and balls. In hindsight, this was kind of funny. Kathy was a total amateur with the harness and the dildo, but at the time I tensed up. It's never going to work if you're so uptight, she said. Just relax. I tried to. She guided the head with her hand, and the next thing I felt was the tip touching my anus. Then slowly it began to enter. I tensed up and felt horrible. She withdrew, quietly applied more lube, and returned to it just outside my anus. Try again, she said. Trust me. I did. I put my arms back and got lost in the music, which was pounding and loud. The pushing returned, but this time I did not resist. Slowly, the dildo pressed in, and all of a sudden it just slid forward. 
I moaned and gasped. Oh, my God. Mmm, she said. Here's some more. <laughs> With that, she pushed in even further. Another, oh, my God, from me. Then the thrusting began. Keep with me, she said. I did, mimicking what she'd done for me hundreds of times before, bucking my hips in rhythm to meet her thrusts. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> then she slowed down, stopped bucking, and began to maneuver the dildo deeper inside me. But she wasn't done yet. Back to the bucking, this time with greater force. Then slowing down. I was totally drained, and yet I did my best to keep up with her. Her moves were smooth and not too fast. I met them again. What an odd sensation. It was so impersonal. It was as though my private parts were just there to be used by her. She lay atop me, my eyes half-glazed, staring into space or at the wall or at something, but not me. After some time, she stopped again, looked down, kissed me, and put her head on my shoulder. Unbelievably, I felt the shaft probe deeper. After a few more thrusts, she withdrew with a pop sound. I was lying on my back in a daze. I hadn't had an orgasm, despite her repeated tries to hit my prostate. Oh well. I proceeded to give her oral sex. It was a relief to be back in a more typical situation, one that probably lasted longer than the screwing I had just received and at least produced orgasms on her part. We lay holding each other for quite a while. Then I was shocked when she put the harness back on. Oh no, I said, or something like it. Just once more, she replied. I assumed the position, but she asked me to turn over and get on my knees. We were going to do it doggy style. I acquiesced and quickly felt her hands holding my butt and the dildo pressing up against its target. It zoomed in and I gasped. Then it began probing, again and again. Finally, she hit the spot. I moaned, got hard, and came very intensely. Mercifully, she withdrew and we lay next to each other and cuddled. It was over. We said nothing for a while, just holding each other tightly. Kathy hadn't removed the harness, so the dildo was still on her, pressed up against my stomach, a silent reminder that I had of all that had just happened. And what had just happened? The physical act had been one thing, and a weird one at that, but the psychological effects were just beginning to waft in. All my life, I had been the penetrator, and even when the woman was aggressive, there was no doubt as to who was doing what to whom. But now, as the one being penetrated, I was on the other side. She'd gotten me to give it up. She'd probed, thrusted, and done any manner of other things, all of her own urging and without much regard to what I wanted. She had been cool, under control, self-assured, while I'd been emotional, afraid, and out of control. And yet, I'd experienced a great orgasm. That was a real trip. My mind had reeled at the experience, and my body had enjoyed almost every second of it. Even the pain, and there was pain, was rewarded in the end by pleasure. I told her all these things. She told me how she loved being in charge for a change and how great it felt to be able to control me, as opposed to me usually being under, as opposed, as opposed to usually being under my control. She said that what really surprised her was how protective she became of me when she realized I was now so vulnerable to her. Yeah, I thought sarcastically, you really acted protectively. She said that she'd felt like she'd conquered me, but at the same time wanted to make sure I was okay. She also said, mimicking a cornerstone on which patriarchy is based, that she felt surprised at how easily I'd let her do what she was doing. I nodded. I was surprised by that too, but a little angry that that was how she felt. After all, I'd just done what she wanted me to. So that was that. 
Since then, we've added anal to our repertoire, and I must admit that it is enjoyable, but I've never shed my ambiguous feelings about it. Maybe that's part of what makes it so exciting. <laughs> and that's, that's it. it? Yep. Okay. Wow. I mean... I'm, what did you think of that? I'm glad he had that experience. Uh I thought it was a great exposition of how it feels to have these roles reversed. Well, the way that they were describing a lot of it, I feel like, like, I mean, they were talking about like, it's like, it's an inherently dominating thing. Mm -hmm. Like even for the woman to do it to him was some kind of, you know. Right. Yeah. That's almost like the idea within, you know, this idea of sex negative feminism that like sex is not nice, you know, like being <laughs> well that piv is evil like that that's pretty much what they come down and say right like not that it's evil but that it's it's not necessarily like a given that sex is nice mm -hmm. you know quote normal sex that's not defined as rape or whatever yeah is nice sure uh i mean part like so kind of what i was thinking that whole time is that for them sex is piv you know penis and vagina like sex is 10 billion things more than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that's that, you know, I could imagine having a great relationship with a woman without ever sticking my dick in her, you know, and, right and still having tons of pleasure and orgasms. Ahoy. I mean, it, you know, it, it just, <laughs> it, it would be wild, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I sort of feel like there is this kind of immature, uh, uh, idea of what sex is, you know, in that it's all the, it's all PIV baby, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, that's the only thing that matters. Um, I mean, I, you know, to be fair, like, like we already said, I'm not into getting pegged, mm -hmm. uh, but also I'm not into, you know, doing anal with a woman. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not going to put my dick in her ass and right. I don't expect her to put anything in mine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird, like, um, there's no possible analog for PIV sex mm. um, from a, f a female to a male because a male is going to only have an ass and right. a female has an ass and a vagina. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, that's, that's great. And maybe that's an experience a lot of guys want to go through in whatever. And that rock and roll, you have yourself a great time with that. We've gotten uh, emails from them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. I, I say that with, you know, I'm not being sarcastic at all. Um, but I do feel like I, you know, just hearing that story and the way it was out there, it, it does feel like PIV is somehow like the center of the universe as far as sex goes. And hmm. that, that in and of itself is a huge, uh, problem, I think. Right on. So, well, that was very interesting. I, I just thought that was a really interesting I thought your exposition. narration was phenomenal. <laughs> I dig that. I don't know if it's too hot for radio. But. <laughs> anyway, so we've got a listener email bonanza coming up now. Um, first, some thoughts from I'm a listener. I'm a listener has emailed us before. They said, uh, listen to your latest show today while driving home. And I suffer, I suffer from post-concussion syndrome, which we were talking about with uh, speculation about Hillary's health, you know, right. that she's acting very strange in public and maybe, you know, collapsing at the 9-11 event or whatever. Um, this person said, I suffer from post-concussion syndrome. Most of the symptoms you listed for Hillary Clinton that people link to post-concussion syndrome are not actually recognized as being attributed to post-concussion syndrome. Nah. And then they link to the Mayo Clinic um, uh, post-concussion syndrome symptoms to so, prove it. So Hillary is a lizard. 
Like that's yeah, that's the only reasonable <laughs> conclusion I think we could draw from it. <laughs> Second, they say, I think you mentioned something about gamification of Internet of Things sex toys. How many karma points do you need to unlock an orgasm? Ooh. And that's a reference to Arcade City, which is, by all indications, a scam app. That uh, well, yeah. it, it's, it's a scandal. It's a scandal, that's for sure. Okay, yeah. so we'll call it just a scandal. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Listen to, a bit uh, of an inside joke. Listen, yeah, to, listen to Brian's podcast, Sovereign Tech. Episode 193 and 194 of uh, Sovereign Tech, if you want to learn more about Arcade City. Yes, anyway. you've been covering it yeah. quite extensively. <laughs> Third, I'm a listener, says... I forgot if it was two episodes ago on Sash or an episode of Sovereign Tech, but something was mentioned about small hands with long, slender fingers. That was on Sash. And the supposed feminization of men. Yes, that was on Sash. It was maybe two episodes ago. I've noticed a couple of people, they say, that I've met in recent days that seem to be alt-right. A dead giveaway is they use the term (laughs) cuckservative. And both of them had narrow hands with long, slender fingers. Hmm. <laughs> well, looks like my ironic theory may be coming true. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little evidence in science. Finally, enjoy the break between seasons. I look forward to season three. Thanks, I'm a listener. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> that was a great email. Now we have another email from a different listener. I called it By Thoughts. Uh, I called the first that first one we just read thoughts, and I called this one by thoughts. They say, uh, "Hi Stephanie and Brian, I just finished listening to episode twenty four. Great episode. The beginning was hilarious. I don't know. I don't remember what he's talking about, I but think okay, the beginning I'll, was I'll take, Hillary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. Thanks. Um, and I would like to add my perspective as a bisexual man." I have never had a sexual experience with a man, and I guess I'm technically in the closet because, not because I'm ashamed, but mostly because I haven't gotten around to telling anyone other than one old friend, and I don't have a man in my life that I'm attracted to. I did kiss a man for the first time a few weeks ago, though, smiley face. Mm. <laughs> Good for you. That's right very, on. it's very exciting when, it's very, it's, it's an exciting moment for a lot of bisexuals who only, um, have heterosexual experience, and then they get that first, homosexual kind of experience it's like rediscovering you feel like a teenager again you feel like you're just rediscovering the whole world of love and it's very special time so cool i'm happy for you um now about being in the closet a lot of buys are are in the closet Mm -hmm. i think um sometimes buys get criticism for this because they don't come out it's like if they're with the same if they're with a opposite sex partner well they just kind of round themselves up to straight and let people run with the assumption that they are straight because they have an opposite sex partner. Right. And, or they, you know, they don't want to bother coming out to anybody. So I don't know. I'm not criticizing you listener, but, um, there are some people out there who say, well, that's the reason that, you know, buys have it so hard and there's buy invisibility and all that because buys don't come out of the closet. So consider that. I don't know if you want to make your personal life or orientation, uh, into activism, you know, but um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> something about making yeah. the personal political or the political personal or something. Something like that. Yeah. Um, wasn't there some like, didn't Murray Rothbard say like the political is always personal? Like Gloria Steinem, I think, said the personal is always political. And Murray Rothbard said the political is always personal. <laughs> I could picture that. <laughs> Something like that. I don't really know. Anyway, um, he says, I disagree with Brian that there are less bisexual men than women. And now oh. just to recap, a couple of weeks ago on this episode, we said, or last week on this episode, we said. On the show. 
sorry, <laughs> last week on the show, um, we read an email, you know, asking about, well, do you think there's more bisexual women than there are bisexual men? And Brian said, yeah, maybe female sexuality is a little more fluid and variable than male is. Mm-hmm. Um, with respect to bisexuality, this person says, I disagree with Brian that there are less bisexual men than women. And he is a bisexual man. So maybe right. there you go. <laughs> uh, I agree that there are less men that would admit to themselves or others that they are attracted to men or that having had sexual experiences with other men. But I think this is due to societal pressures and programming, which Brian did say was a factor, but I think it's the factor. I believe which... I believe that human sexuality lies on a continuum with heterosexual on one end and homosexual on the other, with most people falling somewhere in between. Something I learned in prison, and this person was in prison for a while, mm-hmm. uh, for a victimless crime, I believe, right? Um, I don't... Okay, never mind. <laughs> this person was... Allegedly, <laughs> this person was in prison. Uh, something I learned in prison is that if you lock a bunch of guys in a cage for long enough, the forced self-reflection combined with a community that is more tolerant of gays, leads to many men to discover that they actually are bisexual to some degree. The technical term is gay for the stay. I imagine the same thing applies to women. Now, I think that's really interesting. I've heard of situational homosexuality before. Like some guys, well, they go to jail or prison and they're with only a bunch of other guys and there's no access to women. So what do they do? They get with the other guys. Yeah. Heavens in the military, too. Oh, well, so yeah, in homosocial environments, homosocial meaning there's only a group of the same sex in one place, um, you know, sometimes people become homosexual (laughs) or they become open to homosexual activities. I have never heard the part, though, about forced self-reflection. That is really interesting to Mm me. I, you know, I actually think that it's it's kind of cool that maybe if people are given the time to reflect without distractions, like, obviously, I don't want anybody to be in jail or prison. Right. But like, it's kind of interesting, maybe that the, uh, the considering the possibility that maybe if people are kind of in a place where they have nothing to do but think, and they have lots of time, they might think about some aspects of their self and get to know themselves better and realize something like, hey, maybe I'm bisexual. Sure, sure. No, I think that's totally valid. Um, I think what the emailer had to say, I mean, I, you know, that he, he thinks I might not be accurate, you know, that that's fine. Um, I mean, my, my theories, and I'm not going to go into them as to why I think, uh, you know, that there's less men that are bisexual than there are women, uh, don't stand up to much scrutiny. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to, it's, it's not something I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, stand on, you know, in any strong fashion. So I appreciate that perspective a lot. Right on. Um, he said, personally, I think of myself as about 85% heterosexual and 15% homosexual. <laughs> a man has to be fairly effeminate for me to be attracted to him. Not that that necessarily follows from where I view myself as falling on the continuum. And yeah, that's interesting. I see a lot of self-awareness about your orientation. So there you go. Absolutely. I guess you had a lot of time to reflect on it, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. TLDR, Brian, reconsider letting Stephanie peg you. You might like it. <laughs> Smiley face. <laughs> hear well, that brian <laughs> i i hear it and i always think about it i always keep it in mind so if i ever reconsider well i'm sure we'll talk about we'll it give on you the, the show. full report yeah you'll be the first the to full know. report <laughs> full monty <laughs> anyway i love the show he said you two are amazing people 
I'm going to continue to support by shopping on Amazon. I was the person who bought the sushi knife a couple weeks back. Hey, all right. And you were, uh, by the way, emailer, you were responsible for the title of that show being named after your sushi knife. Yeah. It was, I make sushi, you make... You make a shit. You make a shit. <laughs> uh, I was honored that it was your favorite purchase of that week, Stephanie. I put it to good use. I used to make sushi professionally, but now it's just a hobby. I work for an AC company now. I guess, does it mean air conditioning? I would assume. And I'm going to try to get my manager who's in charge of purchasing to start buying through your affiliate link. Cool. He says, I'm not sure if he's going to go for it. Uh, the name of the show might scare him off, but it's worth a shot. <laughs> Much love. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. We really appreciate it. We would certainly appreciate any corporate buyers wanting to support our show. Um, yeah. I hope the name doesn't scare anybody off. I mean, you'd, you'd have to be I would maybe pretty wimpy or conservative well, to get scared yeah, off yeah, by be conservative. Sex and Science Hour. But yeah, you never know. I mean, it might it might turn some people off, but... It's okay. Um, you know, we really appreciate any support you give us by shopping through our support link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And, um, you know, sushi making, that's a, that's a really cool thing. I actually looked up a bunch of videos on YouTube uh, about a year ago or maybe two years ago about how to make sushi and sashimi. I'm mostly interested in sashimi because I try to eat low carb and so rice is like a no-no. Yeah. But I hear if you're going to eat rice... Fried rice and sushi rice are better than just regular steamed rice because it has a chance when the rice cools down, it has a chance to get some kind of resistant starch. Yeah. Resistant starch is like fiber, basically, that um, somehow the starch in the in the um, plant, and this happens with potatoes, too, when you cook them and then cool them down in the refrigerator, it inverts to a linkage between the sugar molecules that your body can't break down. So it goes into your intestine and it, it becomes like a prebiotic fiber to feed the good bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that has all kinds of good effects, like it lowers your blood sugar and it just makes your guts happy. So um, sushi rice, you know, might be the good kind of rice. But anyway, um, I was more interested in how to cut um, fish into sashimi because I, I order fish sometimes online, yeah. like sashimi grade salmon or whatever. And oh, man, it is so good. I could have that for dinner. I could make a hand roll out of like... Um, regular seaweed with like some cucumber sticks, you know, like julienne cucumber and salmon and just dip it in soy sauce. Oh, it's so good. I really like that. So if you're ever in New Hampshire, listener, um, maybe you can come over and do a private sushi uh, <laughs> sushi chefery for us. Just don't make a shit. Don't make a shit. I'm sure he won't. We would be way more likely to make shit than he would because he's got the experience. He used That's to right. do this professionally. <laughs> okay, and our final email... I called it, I titled this one, How to Keep the Dogs at Bay. Okay. And you'll see why. You'll see why this is titled this way. Um, Hi, Brian and Stephanie. As always, you two rock in every way, and I love you. As much as I would love to just end the email here or with explaining fantasies of a future Star Trek journey with the both of you, I can't. Well, first of all, I have to say... Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> we know who this is from. We won't say it on the air, but the feeling is mutual. We love you, too. Yes. And we would love to go on a starship. Oh, my gosh, with you. That would be the coolest thing Yeah, I thing want to ever. hear more about these Star Trek fantasies. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that will have to be the next email. Okay. All right. <laughs> she says, I respect your opinions very much, and I'm in need of some guidance. To explain, let me set the scene. There's this guy who will name Bill. Bill is much older than me, probably in his 40s, and this is a woman in her 20s. He also has a kid who is at least 15, which is kind of close to her age. 
After a few casual encounters with Bill over the last few years, a year ago, I joined joined a sketch comedy group, which he led. We met up every week or two at his apartment or over Skype. The group would collaborate and share ideas, but it was always Bill who led the meetings, and it seemed that I was the only person dedicated enough to come back for a second year of sketch writing. We also ran into each other at a few festivals and meetups. Our interactions were always comfortable and friendly, nothing significant ever came out of it besides the comedy production. My perception of our relationship was was that of casual friendship, seeing as how he never crossed my mind unless it was directly necessary. One day recently, I was at a festival walking somewhere, and Bill decided to walk with me. We briefly stopped at his campsite so he could grab something. Then I see another one of my friends walking towards us. I turned and yelled, hey, how's it going, or something like that. I swear I heard Bill mutter almost imperceptibly, yeah, everyone's special, aren't they? The sarcastic wish to be the center of my attention. Of course, at the time, it seemed so out of place that I didn't know if I had actually heard him say it, so I moved on with life. What a foolish mistake. After leaving the festival, I got a four-paragraph-long, excited email from Bill describing how sad he was that I had to leave early, but that he had some great new ideas for the sketches we were working on. I responded with a much shorter note, trying to indicate that I didn't want to talk as much as he did. At this point, I sensed that a storm was on the rise. (laughs) Me too. A few weeks go by, and I'm in Bill's apartment for a writer's meeting. I was the first one to show up, so we sat and chatted for a bit. It was a little uncomfortable, since I've always subconsciously avoided being alone with him. Then, later everyone else arrived, he made this grandiose speech about how I've always been one of his best friends, and we have this amazing rapport that I didn't even know existed. (laughs) A day or two after this meeting, I get an email. When I say an email, I mean it could have been a chapter in a book. (laughs) In it, Bill breaks down for me all the special moments in our relationship, things that I never saw as significant. (laughs) But to Bill, there was so much meaning in every word. (laughs) Creepy! (laughs) And he outlines all the ways we get along while simultaneously contrasting how poorly matched my boyfriend and I, who I've been with for two and a half years, are for each other. (laughs) I mean, he indicated that he thought the relationship was detrimental for me, which could have been a compassionate move if he hadn't been saying that my boyfriend was a loser and a failure in so many words. Then he swoops in to say that if I were his girlfriend, he'd always treat me with love, respect, and honesty that I deserve. Like the the love and respect he's showing to her already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a bunch of good good point, Brian. Yeah. Like by doing that, he is not showing you respect. He's not respecting your choice to be with or the person. time or he's anything. not showing you love and he's not showing you honesty because he only came out with his feelings in this big burst after that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after like years of hanging out with you, he was never honest about his feelings until this moment. Uh, after all, he's, he thinks my body is strong and beautiful like a goddess. I should plan to move out of the house I live in and in with him, but let's take it slow at first and maybe find a place closer to him, but still separate. Could I talk to my friends about what they would think of our relationship? He swears he loves me and we could make it work, especially since we both entertain the idea of moving out of the country someday. He even spent a paragraph describing how our astrological signs indicated that we were just meant to be. Oh, Oh, cringe. (laughs) cringe i was cringing so hard you should have seen my face while i was reading this 
Don't get me wrong, she says. I'm, I've used the I'm a Leo explanation jokingly a couple of times to ex- describe some of my bolder moves, but I certainly don't believe that any of the celestial, I certainly don't believe in any of that celestial body alignment horse shit. <laughs> yeah, excellent use of the word horse shit. All right. Anyhow, I responded bluntly, but with enough understanding as to not I responded bluntly, but with enough understanding as not to warrant hate mail from Bill, as sometimes that happens when these scenarios go south. I also instantly quit the sketch writing group so I wouldn't have to be around a person who just tried and failed to coax me into a relationship with him in one master work email. (laughs) He tried to apologize and accept that I was right about everything, but I couldn't bring myself to respond. Now, I I have to stop there and just say, ugh. Mm-hmm. I, I so cre- I'm so sorry this happened, and I feel for you. You're in a difficult position. He writes you this long email, a grand romantic gesture, laying out all the feelings. What does he think is going to happen? Is he does he think you're you're just going to be like, oh, okay, I'll completely uproot my life and uh, go ahead and be your girlfriend now? You convinced me. No, I mean that never happens, <laughs> yeah. right? Except maybe in movies or something, which aren't reality. Which yeah, which aren't reality. And then she said something as um, she responded bluntly but politely because she was afraid that things would really go south. And that is that is the worst because when nobody likes, I guess, being rejected, but a lot of people also don't like being the one to do the rejecting because not only are they afraid of hurting the person's, the other person's feelings, you know, they're being sensitive to how the other person will feel, even, even though they don't want to go so far as to just go ahead and date them because they don't want to hurt their feelings that badly. But, you know, um, they're afraid of how that the other person's feelings might be hurt, but they're also afraid of some kind of violent or dramatic retaliation, you know, either emotionally, like kind of, you know, just them being a baby and not handling rejection gracefully, or them doing something actually physically violent or stalkerish or whatever. And it sucks that that's a concern so often. Yeah, when when this scenario happens. So I'm I'm just really sorry you were in that position. I hope he got the hint and leaves you alone. Um, (laughs) Good for you for just saying, no, I'm not interested in you. And hopefully the situation ends there with no more drama and certainly no violence. Yeah. I, I want to comment on that really quickly and yeah. just say, you know, you never, ever owe anybody any kind of response. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, no contact is is a totally legitimate way to interact with somebody who's really crossing personal boundaries. Uh, you Some know, people you, I think you kind of have to do that with. It's just like once you get to a point where you realize someone's a person you really can't or don't want to be around, you have to just kind of stop interacting with them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm in no way blaming, you know, the email here for anything. I absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she handled things, you know, well, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that, that, you know, if, if others find themselves in similar places, you don't have to respond to those emails. Uh, you, you, owe, you, owe, you owe nobody anything. Yep. So <laughs> I've done that a couple times. I've sure. had a few situations like this where I just told the person once, don't contact me again. They did. And, I ignored them subsequent yeah, I mean, times. And what will often happen is, is they will keep like, th- they'll even a lot. Sometimes these people will create questions or emails that yeah, are to try to bait you into responding. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They are baiting you at, at all costs, you know, and, and they, well, 
eventually there there comes a time where just you just to get stop. some of your time and attention. Yeah, you know? just to get a little bit more because they're so terrified that you will never talk to them again or something. You yeah. Know, or however that shapes up for, mm-hmm. for that person. Anyway, please continue. Uh, uh, anyway, she says, I am deeply disturbed by this whole incident. Even a week later, it makes me sick to think about it. I've never been attracted to Bill in the slightest. In fact, I question whether or not some part of my disgust in response to the scenario is because the thought of Bill and me together is revolting and (laughs) gag-worthy. Another part of that disgust is aimed at his salesman tactics of trying to undermine my boyfriend while building himself up. If something is really good, it should outcompete without destroying the competition. Am yep. I right? Yeah. If some, yeah, exactly. If someone's Absolutely really right. that great, they'll they won't have to sell themselves to you. That their actions will show you that they're a person who you want to be with, and they're great. They shouldn't have to explain and pontificate about how great they are and how bad your current choice of <laughs> boyfriend is. If anything, that just shows that they don't respect your choices. Yeah, absolutely. Deeper still is utter confusion. I love having male friends. They add a lot of value and interesting conversations into my life, and I wish I had more. I can hardly seem to keep many male friends for long, however, because usually they develop feelings for me, which is all right in itself if they don't act on them. But usually in the end, whether out of bold confidence or sheer desperation, they do. I know I'm somewhat attractive. People tell me all the time, but I really don't take it seriously because there are many more important qualities about me worth paying attention to. Here, here. But the number of times I've gained and lost male friends because they were so overtaken by my looks or personality that they couldn't hold it inside anymore, you'd think I was Aphrodite or something. It saddens me that I'll never be able to have sincere male friends without something like Bill's email always casting shadows and killing our relationship. Sometimes I see it coming. In this scenario, I didn't catch it until it was too late. Even if it seems predictable that a friend is developing stronger feelings for me, I don't like ending the friendship before anything happens. That doesn't seem fair. Everyone has feelings, but I choose to judge people based on how they respond to and act on those feelings, and not just because they have them. I always make it clear that I'm not looking for another relationship. I'm not misleading anyone purposely. After the big reveal, though, it seems too difficult to maintain it After the, quote, big reveal, like his email, (laughs) though, it seems too difficult to maintain a friendship. By the way, wouldn't it be easier to maintain an open communication about those feelings constantly instead of saving it all up for one giant gush? (laughs) Uh, Yes, (laughs) I think that was a rhetorical question. But yeah, that's why we said before, like he wasn't being honest the whole time. He just saved it up. He really wasn't respecting you. I know it's not impossible to stay friends, but sadly, most guys are not mature enough to accept that we can be friends without them needing to be sad that I won't love them back, or without them trying again and again to make me say yes. Sometimes I don't feel comfortable enough around them, like their eyes are violating me if, they, if I know they have feelings that I don't share. I just don't know what to do. How can I make male friends and avoid what seems to be this inevitable forced detour down lover's lane? I've heard from many people, mostly men, haha, that it is not possible for someone like me to have male friends at all. I just cannot accept that. I don't know how to argue it when it se- I oh, I cannot accept that. I just don't know how to argue it when it seems to be mostly true. This is going to sound so backwards, but I would love to hear any advice you two can offer on how to maintain intergender friendships and keep people from falling in love with you superfluously. Is there even a solution to this problem? Getting the male perspective and explanation of these events from Brian would be really helpful for me. Thanks. Live long and prosper, she says. (laughs) And thank you. Thank you so much for that email. Um, 
I guess she said it sounds backwards because we usually give people relationship advice about how to get into and stay in relationships, yeah, right? Not to get in not one. Not to avoid getting in. <laughs> or, yeah, or to get out of one or whatever. Not even that. She's even in to one. To prevent one from yeah, even to, out, to keep it on the friendship level. Yeah. And no, I don't think it's backwards because friendship is a type of relationship. We're helping sure. her, you know, she's asking for help staying in friendships that are just friendships and nothing more, which is very important because everybody needs friends they're just friends sometimes you know um so anyway brian do you have any thoughts about like just this email in general how she can keep this stuff from happening Uh, like boy (laughs) just even saying that for me how she can keep this from happening i think so little of this is your fault uh listener that Mm -hmm. wrote into us it's so much of it is things that these guys need to do, frankly, to work on their own <laughs> maturity yeah. and uh, readiness to be in friendships that I, I think like I understand that this problem is happening to you, but there's it, it's not your fault. You know what I'm saying? It's like it, it's not anything you're doing wrong. Um, it's something that they need to work on. Um, yeah. Now, I had I had. Th- uh, listed out like a couple of things because I thought about this email quite a bit. We got it early in the week, and so we had a chance to yes. think about it. Um, so I listed out a couple of uh, specific pieces of advice. But Brian, do you have anything you wanted to say first off? Do you want to go first? Oh, I don't know if it's going to be similar to what you put out. Um, well, you go go ahead. She yeah. wants to hear your perspective. Yeah, I mean, there is. Oh, the, you, you know, this is this is really tough because really the answer is is that look, most guys just they can't handle life. You know, like, I mean, they just can't. And I'm saying this as a guy. And if if there's guys listening that get offended, you know, big whoop. okay? because (laughs) it's just (laughs) since when do you care about offending people? No, I I don't. Um, So uh, this I don't think this emailer did anything wrong. You know, like you said already, Um, I think, you know, there are some guys that I like, I don't. So a lot of people, including guys and women, they, there is this big narrative and some people base it upon, well, if you're married, you know, you need to be actually, this is ironic is that they'll tell you that when you're married, you, you absolutely cannot have friends of the opposite sex. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> which I, I mean, and it's ironic because that kind of like doesn't speak well of marriage because sort of the, the concern is, is that you're going to want some variety when you have a close friend that you can kind of trust, you're going to have that avenue. To right. You can't even be trusted to hang around somebody of the opposite sex <laughs> lest you bump genitals you know Gee, yeah yeah i wonder where human nature plays on that but yeah. anyway um you know i don't i don't believe that um most of but my that lack of trust is based on the fact that sometimes that does happen people are in relationships yeah. and they do cheat on their spouse or partner with other people right of, of that gender but the thing is this argument falls apart for bisexuals right because according to this you know according to this idea that you can't be just friends with anyone who is of a gender that you could potentially be attracted to mm-hmm. then according to that bisexuals can't have any friends at all well they think that <laughs> i mean that, that that kind of addresses an email we read a couple of weeks ago or last week or whatever saying where you know women are terrified of their husbands being bisexual and all this stuff because they're going to sleep around Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's maybe a little bit of a different fear, but I'm just saying like, um, you know, there, there has to be, I I get what you're saying. They can't have friends at all. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. They couldn't be friends with anybody. Right. That's why like, I don't, when I go get a massage, you know, and and they say like, do you want a male or female massage therapist? I usually say, I don't care Mm because I'm, 
Odds are, whether they're a male or female, I'm probably not going to be attracted to them either way anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and they're a massage therapist. They're, they have to be professional. That's part of their job. You know, that's part of their training. So right. there's not going to be any funny business. So I don't care. Right. But some people like, you know, women, they only want to go to a female OBGYN. Or they like a for a doctor for female health checkups, mm-hmm. or they only want to go to a male OBGYN because they think a female would make them gay, right? Or yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So I I don't know. Just this this gender divide stuff is kind of preposterous. But I can I can really see because men tend to be more aggressive in you know saying is in pursuing, and and men are traditionally supposed to be the the pursuers, and sometimes they interpret you know a woman just being friendly and not putting off any sex interest signals mm-hmm. as, oh, well, she's just playing hard to get. And if I just pursue her hard enough, then I'll win her over eventually. Okay. Well, here's, here's a tip for men. Stop pursuing. Just stop. I don't. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I do not pursue myself. Uh, and if no one ever comes up to you, well, then th- that's, that's just, that's just life. Just fucking stop that. Uh, I, I really, that, that, that drives me wild. Yeah. You, uh, you have to understand the way Brian and I got together was, I told him that I was interested in him. Right. And I told him directly. I said, I am interested in you. <laughs> right. Yes. And and then we, you know, explored a relationship. It wasn't like Brian continu- continued to sort of like get me flowers and like show up I at my house and stalk me at work and trash my boyfriend. Never did anything Until sort. eventually I decided to, he like wore me down and I decided to go with him. I think that model is getting kind of outdated. Now it's okay to make the first move if you're a woman or whatever. And yeah. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of making the first move. Right. I mean, especially especially with a with a male, it's like it makes me feel like they're not being overly aggressive or or whatever. Yeah. Um. And you know, I, I don't know. I just I like being the one to confirm that yes, I'm interested. Now you can go ahead and express interest in me, and I'll be okay with it. And then then they start, and then we you know continue this dance or whatever. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, so, I mean, but this is the thing is that most guys just aren't at that point. I mean, and they could be, it doesn't matter their age. Most guys just aren't at the point to where they can really just let the chips fall where they may or to where, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's not this emailer's fault at all. I know I already said that, but I'm just saying it again. It's not. And what do you do? I mean, you got to understand, you know, when I've worked in, in businesses and stuff and, you know, women would come up to me. And, you know, they would ask, like, you know, what what should I do about this? Well, my boyfriend's doing this, doing this. I mean, my answer always was I wouldn't, rag, you know, wouldn't rag on the boyfriend or anything. I would just say, get a girlfriend. Like, <laughs> you know, just or if they broke up, if they had just broken up, I'd just say, yeah, give it a woman. What are you doing going for a guy? You know, because yeah. most guys just they're just not there. They just don't have the maturity or they're so bought into what society tells them they need to be or need to do. Um, and it sucks. I feel bad, you know, for guys that they can't see past, uh, you know, the, the length of their own dick. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, what, what do you do? You know? So you think most guys are just not worth knowing. It's sadly true. I, I hate to say it, but just most, most guys really, they cannot be friends with women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it, you know, especially if it's a woman of, of a degree of attractiveness or, you know, that is, you know, just, uh, they're just not, a lot they're of not mature enough overall. Right. They're not mature enough to 
process their feelings and, you know, potentially keep them inside. She was even very understanding in her email. She said, sure. look, I recognize everybody has feelings. You can't help it if you're right. attracted to someone. It's what you do with that. Do you communicate it about it openly? Do you say to the person, hey, look, you know, I think you're kind of cute. I'm a little bit attracted to you, but I would never do anything. I, I just I would I'll tell you, but I'll never bring this up again because I know you have a boyfriend or I know you're not interested in me or whatever. Right. Um, you know, or do you do you just keep silent about it and and just manage it internally, which is another option that could allow them to be friends? Um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, uh, I I think I kind of agree with you, Brian. That you know, this emailer is seems to be interested in having male friends. She said she loves having them. She loves the perspective they bring to things, but she's just having trouble navigating because they all seem to go down this road where they have this grand romantic confession of their feelings for her. Yeah. I mean, in- I, I'm kind of with you. I think that a lot of men are really not, <laughs> not there to the point where they can be just friends with a woman. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I say this all the time, Brian, but like if anything happened to you, I would not be trying to date men. I would be looking for a, a woman. Yeah. And, you know, and you got another problem because women just don't do this shit. Right. Absolutely. And, and another issue, and this goes true for any of them. I'm not picking on just one. But if you belong to a subculture, OK, and if your friends are based around a certain subculture, whatever that happens to be, I mean, it could be geeky shit, you know, it could be political shit, whatever it happens to be. OK, but a lot of times in subcultures, women are, you know, rare. OK, now that's a whole other conversation as to why that. Yes. Is. Yes. Okay? But part of that is exactly what she's experiencing. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> the know? reason there aren't many women right. around, because the minute a woman walks in, everybody swarms her like sharks circling blood in the water. Exactly. And then they aggressively hit on her until she freaks out and gets really uncomfortable and leaves. Right. But it's a catch 22 because you're in the subculture and you're wanting people that maybe are also in the subculture because generally it's very important to you. It's very core to who you are. Uh, and so. But the, I hate it. It's it's just it's it's part of it's it's the name of the game. Yeah, you know, I I don't really have great advice, only to just you know reinforce that you're not doing anything wrong. The problem is theirs, and there are some people out there. There are some you know opposing genders where you can really be friends, but they are just so rare in this world. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think so. Part of the traditional thing about being friends with people who are of a gender that you could potentially be attracted to is like, mm-hmm. if there's a huge age difference, then okay, that's a little safer because you're probably not going to be attracted. But in this case, it didn't work. This dude has a kid that's almost her age, and he's still hitting on her yeah. in this creepy way. Yeah. So obviously that didn't work. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your points. So, okay, here are the points that I wrote out. First of all, empathy, you know, this is really annoying. I feel you, listener. Mm. I've, I definitely understand what you're talking about. There's some people who would read this email and say, oh, boo-hoo, poor girl. She's so pretty that everybody wants her. Well, it's really a problem, okay? It's, it's actually a real problem if you can't walk into any situation without feeling uncomfortable because people are going to make aggressive sexual advances at you. And, you know, women all know in the back of their mind or the front of their mind, but at least in the back of their mind, that sometimes it's dangerous to say no to a man. Men can be physically imposing. Men can be violent. It sometimes is not a far stretch from someone who really wants to get with you to 
when you reject them, them turning violent or them turning into a, a emotional, um, a very emotional mess or them getting very angry. Sure, because that's the one emotion that men are allowed to have, right? Is yeah, angry. and throwing a hissy fit. So I think that's always in the back of a woman's mind when she has to reject somebody is that potential for a violent or dangerous or dramatic blow up to happen. And mm-hmm. we obviously don't want that to happen. So, um, you know, if a woman is treading lightly around you, that's probably why, because it may not have any, you might be a very wonderful, nice dude, you know, who just expressed some feelings and is interested in her, but she might've had an abusive dad. She might've had an abusive boyfriend in the past. She might've encountered a lot of men who hit on her aggressively and had a, a, a hissy fit and did not take it gracefully when she said no in the past. So she's scared and she's treading lightly. Sure. So just understand that. Um, so first of all, the first thing was empathy, you know, to the to the listener who wrote this. I'm really sorry you're having trouble with Absolutely. this. Absolutely. This sucks. Um, I think being able to be friends with men, if that's something you really want to do, is going to come down to three things. The first one is developing your spidey sense slash detection yep. capabilities slash judge of character. The second one is drawing strong boundaries from the very beginning. And the third one is adjusting expectations, yours and theirs. And I'm going to tell you what each of what I mean by each of those three things. So the first one, judge of character stuff. Trust yourself and trust your first impression. You said in the email that you see you have seen this coming before. Um, just learn to trust that. If you get any sense that something is off and that this is coming down the road, run away early <laughs> before it even has a chance to happen. You'll notice if they're looking at you funny, even if you know, like maybe they're maybe you know that they're married, but they're not happy in their marriage and they're looking for a way out. You don't want to be that way out, it sounds like. So, you know, if you know that, maybe avoid them from the beginning. Or if they're single and they're like always complaining about how they can't get a girlfriend. Um, seek out guys who are, who are, I would say, progressive or feminist. And what I mean by that is if someone ever, if a man ever complains to you about other women or about women in general, or make statements such as, oh, women do this, women do that, you know, oh, women are so overly emotional, women are, most women are so stupid, you're not like other girls. If they say, if they talk shit about women, it's over. Don't, don't go there, because that means they probably hold other misogynistic beliefs, yeah. such as men and women can't be friends without me being entitled to have sex with her, right? Um, a woman wouldn't want to be friends with me unless she secretly wants to fuck me. Those beliefs all go together. So if they say something to you that indicates that they think shitty things about women, you can guarantee that those attitudes are going to be pervasive and you should avoid that person. This is what I do. Yeah, (laughs) sure. When people say one shitty comment to me about women, I'm like, okay, strike one. (laughs) That's a red flag. (laughs) Strike two, they're pretty much out. (laughs) Strike three, they're out. (laughs) Um, if If they make explicit comments that, indicate that they acknowledge the intelligence of women that they think men and women can be can be just friends successfully um if they have a good reason to want to be your friend and just your friend like a common interest like that sketch comedy group sounds pretty legit right sure like that's probably what threw you off because okay he had a good reason to want to hang out with you that wasn't because he wanted to date you yeah but it just happened to be that he went there eventually if they if they do those things those are good signs if they you know, indicate that they believe that men and women can be just friends. If they have a lot of female friends already, if they have other female friends who are just friends, Mm -hmm. um, if they, you know, say 
complimentary and respectful things about women, those are all good signs. So, you know, if that happens, if people show white flags <laughs> as opposed to red flags, get to know them in a casual way at first. You know, it's okay to be guarded here. Get to know them as an acquaintance for six months to a year. That's what I always say. Six months to a year and you really know someone they've had a chance to establish a track record. You can get a pretty good sense of what's going to happen in your relationship with them going forward. So I would say just get to know them casually. I know this is going to take a little bit longer. You probably want friends this year instead of next year. But look at maybe look at your acquaintances who, who you already have known for six months to a year and see if there are any of them that don't hold these misogynist beliefs <laughs> and who are potential friends that you could become friends with. Um, look for guys who have a track record of being just friends with other women and or who already have a girlfriend or wife that they're happy with. Um, that's another that's another one. Yeah, sure. Um, I kind of already said that, but look for guys who aren't drama queens and who have a good track record of forming lasting relationships with other people in the community, men yeah. and women. So um, that those are just sort of judge of character things. And I think that can screen out probably 90 to 95 percent of the creeps who are going to do stuff like this. Yeah, I think that's an awesome list. Um, you know, that spidey sense. I think that's really important. And, you know, one of the things and this is going to sound kind of Buddhist, but it, it, I'm an atheist. I don't I don't buy into that. Uh, but, you know, I think you can kind of tell like people's level of attachment, mm-hmm. like like how, how they how they attach to various things and people in all this. Mm hmm. And usually you can kind of tell someone isn't like, so I don't know. I'm doing a terrible job of describing this, but I think you can tell when someone's like, they, they don't, um, you're talking about, it's a bad sign when people, when men get attached to certain outcomes, like being able to have sexual access to a woman. Yeah. Outcomes, things. I mean, I, I don't know. Just, you can kind of tell when people not, I mean, not that you want people that are all take it or leave it, but when people get obsessed with something versus yeah. when they're a little bit more easygoing and free spirited and just roll with whatever happens. Yeah. Watch out for like obsessive behaviors. Yeah, definitely. That, that, that can just create so many problems. Yeah, absolutely. So my second category of, adv- of advice pointers that I have is boundaries, developing, st- you know, establishing strong boundaries from the beginning. The first thing, the first tip under that is develop a shield. <laughs> now, this is this is something I don't know if you've ever read like pickup artist literature, but they describe something called the bitch shield. Now, <laughs> I would maybe almost like to take that term back. I don't believe that women are bitches for having um, filters and boundaries yeah, at all. Exactly. And that is not something they should be shamed for. In fact, having boundaries in, is incredibly important for protecting yourself I and it. for protecting yourself from people like pickup artists. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Maybe I'm going to take back the term bitch shield. I just said develop a shield. Don't hang out with people where you see it coming at all, even if you just a little bit see it coming. And I said this in the last thing. I said, trust your gut. For the ones who you don't suspect, become guarded. Get to know them slowly and bail out at the first sign of any funny business or confront them on it directly and ask them what's going on with this if you're not sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then the second thing under boundaries, I said, beat them over the head with 100% unambiguous nose before they even try. So that means things like when you're talking, when you're, you know, hang out with someone, you know, drop in your boyfriend, (laughs) drop in, I'm not looking for any other relationships, drop in, I'm not attracted to you, 
you're not my type. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested in, in you. I'm not interested in anyone else except my boyfriend or I'm, I'm not interested in any dating anyone right now or whatever. Right. If, you're, if you're single, you know that you can you can say it a lot of different ways, but drop in those casual no's all the time <laughs> yeah. and just keep reminding them of it. That'll maybe act as a little bit of a deterrent, I guess, to sort of keep them at arm's length. Um. <laughs> well, and if it's not a deterrent, it's it'll be a signal because how they can handle those, you know, sometimes very soft criticism mm-hmm. uh, or like, do they suddenly make a change based upon the criticism you made? I'd be worried. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, absolutely. Like if you say, oh, I don't like um, I'm not attracted to beards on men. And then the suddenly the next time you see them, they've shaved their beard. Yeah. You know, that's a that's kind of a, a bad sign. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you just keep dropping in those little things that disqualify the, the potential of you having a relationship, you know, and and they're fine with it and they just keep rolling, then that's a good sign. Yeah. If you keep dropping in these little no's and they get pissy it'll draw out you know it'll draw out how they're feeling sooner and it'll you know prevent it from dragging out for a long time where maybe they have this big reveal right so i think that's a maybe a good thing to do is just establishing your boundary and there's nothing wrong with having boundaries everything you know everyone needs boundaries in order to protect themselves like we said yeah um and especially if you've had trouble with this in the past with people kind of stepping over your boundaries it doesn't hurt to assert them it doesn't make you a bitch it doesn't make you mean it doesn't make you unfriendly it just makes you somebody who cares about protecting yourself yeah and that's very important and that actually i mean I think the right people will want to hang out with you more if you show through your actions and through your boundaries that you care about protecting yourself. Yeah, absolutely. The final category I had was adjust expectations, yours and theirs. Consider becoming a fag hag. Now hear me out on this. (laughs) If you want to have male friendships and most guys believe, you know, a lot of people in culture and society believe that it is impossible for heterosexual men and women to be just friends with each other. Um, you know, maybe you might want to consider being friends with some gay guys sure. who are a hundred percent gay and they couldn't potentially be attracted to you. Sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, no, that's, I, that's I, a viable idea. They're still yeah. male. They would be male friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's, po- I mean, most of my, most of my friends throughout my entire life and even today are women, you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, like it's possible, you know, and I'm not making any moves or anything like that. Uh, but it is, God, it's so sad. It's, it's, it's so rare, mm-hmm. you know, to where it can work. And I understand the, I, I consider it. Some people are more comfortable within those boundaries set by culture, like, sure. like the unwritten rule of, okay, if, if someone is of a ge- gender that you could potentially be attracted to, you can't be friends. Okay. Well, <laughs> be, be friends with someone where you couldn't potentially be attracted to each other. Yeah. Right. See how yeah. that works out. <laughs> that falls within the social rule and maybe everyone's more comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, don't just be friends with men. What's so great about them anyway? That's what I had written Ooh, down. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm half kidding, but seriously, like, what do you like about being friends that you can't get from women? Is there anything specific that only a male friendship can provide that you couldn't get from being friends with a woman? I think that's worthy of uh, exploration. Yeah. Is there anything you can't get from being friends with gay men that you can get from straight men? Because, I mean, if you don't have to go to a straight man you know, don't, right? Because yeah. <laughs> then you avoid this whole problem. And last question to reflect on on this is, even if there is something missing in your life by not being friends with straight men, is it is that worth 
um, is getting that thing worth exposing yourself to the risk of this kind of situation happening again and again? Cost-benefit analysis. Right. What's the cost-benefit analysis? Seriously, I think about that. Um, and then the last tip under adjusting expectations is when you become friends with someone new or when you start getting to know them beyond the acquaintance level, tell them at the beginning of their fr- of the friendship that your past friendships with straight men have not worked out because they always develop feelings and start a conversation about what would happen if they developed feelings or what would they do if that happened and see if you're satisfied with the answer. Sure. If they deny it, if they say, oh, I would never develop feelings for you and and you believe them, then okay, that's good. If you don't believe them, (laughs) that might be a red flag. Yeah. If they say, okay, well, I'm not attracted to you right now, but if it, if it came up, I would tell you and we could talk about it and I'm, I'm sure we could work it out one way or the other. And even if you didn't feel the same way, that would be fine. I would never bring it up again or I would, you know, we would just keep checking in. Whatever answer would satisfy you, that's what you want to look for. But tell them that this could be a potential problem headed off at the pass. Now that takes a lot of, you know, initiative and communication on your part, but it might be something that um, either, either tells you right away that this is not someone you want to be friends with or it it heads off a potentially bad situation at the pass yeah absolutely um you know that honesty you want from from you know men Mm -hmm. uh it it does not hurt for you to to express it in the first place you know to, to share that same honesty so good luck out there let us know how we did uh maybe check back in in a couple months tell us how it's going we understand that this happens and it sucks and again a lots of empathy to you and thank you for writing that email because it i'm sorry this happened to you but it was kind of entertaining listening to bill's uh exposition about how he's in love with you (laughs) in in a in a gruesome way but yeah (laughs) um but live long we, and prosper. We can at least find a little bit of humor in it, right? Yeah. That is a silver lining. You'll have a funny story to tell later on. Even though it's crappy now, it'll be funny later. So good luck. Thank you for writing in. And thank you for listening to Sex and Science Hour. This has been season two of our Woo. show. Woohoo! Go to our website at sexandsciencehour.com. Follow us on Twitter for updates. Subscribe to our podcast feed, RSS or iTunes. Send us money if you like the season. Send us a nice big Bitcoin tip or whatever else you want to give on (laughs) PayPal. We really appreciate that. And stick around because there is an after show coming up where we're going to talk about stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, which is another way you can support us. So never fear. We're here and we'll be back for season three in three weeks, motherfuckers. (laughs) See you soon. (laughs) You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. show for three whole weeks. The final countdown.
A huge fan of Europe. I, I the hate, band. I actually hate to say that I was excited about taking this season break because I love our listeners and I love doing the show. Yes. But it's going to be nice to have just a little more free time in the next three weeks yeah. to actually just do stuff that we normally don't do, like cleaning and things like that <laughs> while we're doing the podcast. <laughs> so, um, we should probably talk about our goals on the first season or on the first show of season two, where we rebooted the show after a two year hiatus, yes. which we said we were going to do and we did. So thank you very much. We did what we said we were going to do. Eventually it took a while, but we did it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. I often respond to emails like a month later. Yeah. Like they never, they, they thought I was never going to write back, but I did. I came through. I persevered. You know, <laughs> I love doing that. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, sometimes it just takes a little while. But we brought back the show for season two after people thought we were gone. We thought They thought we permanently pod faded. And we said we were going to try to support our show through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, which is our Amazon affiliate link. Right. Now, um, we asked people to shop through our link to uh, give us, you know, affiliate commissions and use that money to support the show. And... I am really proud of how far we've come over the course of this season. It's been about six months, and uh, we've had a, quite a, a stream of people coming through, shopping through our Amazon affiliate link. Every week, we get stuff in our queue to talk about on the after show, because the way that we um, promote it and the way that we talk about it and give people an incentive to shop through our link is by talking about the stuff that they bought on the after show on Sex and Science Hour. Exactly. Now, we don't know who bought it. We don't see your name next to your purchase. We just see a list of items that got purchased. We don't know by whom. Sometimes we get follow-up emails saying, oh, hey, that was me that bought this, like the guy who bought the sushi knife. Right. (laughs) The sushi knife. (laughs) Shushu. (laughs) Inside joke. All right. (laughs) But um, largely, we don't know who bought stuff unless you tell us. So it's a really entertaining way to just talk on the show about things that were bought. And hey, what what do we think about that? Have we ever used this item? What is this? Let's speculate what they're using it for. (laughs) Let's look at it. So um, that's been really fun. We're making, um, I would say, about like 15 to 20 percent of our goal for what we had wanted to make. Yeah. Well, now that's not bad for doing the show for one season. I knew it was going to take a while to build up to our goal. Um, I would like to 10x what we're making right now from our Amazon affiliate link. And the plan to do that in season three is to, well, just keep doing the show and keep being here and keep promoting it. That will lead to a snowball effect where more people will continue to shop through our link. Um, but also, I'm going to add more countries Uh, Amazon affiliate links to open it up to non-US listeners. We've Mm -hmm. had requests for that and I've been slow and we had a very difficult summer. So just haven't gotten to it yet. But for season three, that's one of my goals. Um, Another idea, I guess, is to use those Amazon fees to do um, on-site recordings. This is something that we had wanted to do uh, for a while was like use the money that we were making from our show to go on trips like maybe to a different city or maybe to somewhere in New Hampshire where we live and have a listener party and do a live show. Yeah. Um, so that would be a way to increase our our stuff. Um, we'll say if we get to a certain goal, then we will have a listener party in a certain city or whatever. And um, that'll happen. Yeah, be a good time. So do you have any ideas to increase our <laughs> revenue, Brian, from this Amazon affiliate link? Share the show. 
share I mean, the, the show. The only way to do it is more listeners, really, in my opinion. I mean, I'm just being straight up honest. Yeah, uh, and- I, I agree with you. Like, the more subscribers and listeners we have, the more people who are going to hear about this every week and say, hmm, I want to be on the after show. I think I'll shop for the, through their link. Yeah. I so mean, if you want to help us with that, I guess sharing the show would be a great way to do it. Yeah. And it's a great three week period to where people can get caught up with, mm-hmm. you know, the latest uh, and, and, you know, they're not going to be bombarded with another hour or hour and change show every week, um, you know, at least for the next three weeks. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably one of the best ways for that to, so if you want to help out with that and you're already using the Amazon affiliate link, that's another great thing to do. Uh, but I will be clear that just like with my own show, Sovereign Tech, I understand why a lot of people don't share the show because sometimes shows like this are guilty pleasures. You know, they're not exactly something <laughs> you go right. talking about the water cooler about. You know, that's why I like to say, sh- tell a friend, tell two friends, because you always have that one friend where you can be honest with them, yeah. right? Like maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your best friend, maybe it's one of your coworkers, the person maybe that's pegging you on the side, the person who's pegging you on the side. Yeah, yeah. you know, just one of your Full friends who you feel comfortable sharing your dirty little secret with. Yeah, being that you listen to our show. <laughs> So if everybody did that, then we would double our audience. And if everybody of them did that, then we would quadruple our audience, right? And exactly. so on and so forth. So we encourage you to share our show. Thank you, Brian. That was a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian tweets about the show every week. So you can follow us on Twitter. Um, just go to our website, sexandsciencehour.com, and you'll find a link to our Twitter profile there. Yes. And I think, you know, another thing that I'm going to do to promote the show and try to increase our revenues is, is um, I think... We'll start a Patreon, and we might start doing bonus content for Sex and Science Hour. Because you've been doing that with Sovereign Tech, and it's been working really well for you. And I would like to make a Facebook community for Patreon subscribers only. Well, you can make the community right in Patreon itself. That's something we could talk about. Oh, yeah. But I I think this is worth mentioning and Mm -hmm. engage interest. See what people think about it. Yep. And maybe a Facebook group for non-Patreon subscribers. All that sounds like a lot of work, but I realize that if I want to make money off the show, I should get off my ass and do some stuff and (laughs) provide value. I think we already provide a lot of value just by doing the show. That's our main provision of value. But maybe we could provide more in ways or maybe we could capture it. I don't know. Um, So we'll see how it goes. But we're going to take a nice little break in season three. Um, We're going to take some time off, lounge around, watch some movies, naked, of course and under the palm trees and in new hampshire and just have a grand old time (laughs) so what did people get on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week well somebody got et the book of the green planet a novel thank you (laughs) do you love that book i told people remember we talked about et like two three weeks ago yes that's right i said there's this great book it might have been even like last week yeah yeah and i said it's the book of the green planet yes somebody bought that (laughs) oh Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the hell out oh, of it because I, so cool. I do. I still have my copy of it because you're not going to get this in any digital way. Uh, yeah, they fantastic. bought like a used paperback and we got yep. a 12 cent commission from it. So Good. thank you very much. <laughs> and and I got I got filled with pride personally. Yes, so. you got way more than 12 cents. Worth I of have value taste, goddammit. And I want. I always feel so good when other people recognize or when at least that they just listen, they say, no, you know what? He knows what he's talking about. I'm going to grab what he's selling. And, and I, <laughs> I, I, I never feel better than that. Well, except for when I'm having sex, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> right on. Somebody bought from the automotive section, um, t- uh, nine is three and two thirds by nine emery cloth with 
assorted grit sizes. It looks like some kind of sanding, a strip paint to metal. Right. So you can strip paint off of a car. So maybe someone's going to paint their car. Paint it black. Interesting. Somebody bought a wall charger, um, a, a Mimo one-piece dual-port USB power charger um, with foldable plug. Andy. Somebody got an iPhone 6 Plus case. Somebody got an iPhone 7 Plus screen protector. Oh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> or 6S 6 Plus. Well, so hey, it's probably for the same thing. An oh, iPhone okay. case and protector, screen protector. I was going to say, at least you don't have to protect the headphone jack because there ain't one. Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we've got uh, in the computers department, we've got a Amazon Basics micro USB to USB cable, two pack, three feet. Nothing major, but hey, we'll take it. Yep. Amazon Basics mini display port to HDMI adapter, Thunderbolt. You know, let me tell you, this Amazon Basics line that they have, yeah. uh, as concerning as I am over Amazon's, you know, treading towards becoming a monopsony, not a monopoly, a monopsony. Yep. Um, their Amazon Basics line is great and it's cheap. Like, I mean, yeah, it is. It is cheap. Oftentimes, it's the only cables I buy because I know the work. Like uh, when HDMI was going through a bunch of different uh, uh, form factors, or not form factors. Iterations. But iterations, yeah. like A, B, and C and all that. Uh, I, I always bought Amazon, and they always work beautifully. So good choice. Right on. Buy Amazon and save. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, somebody from the gourmet foods department, we, we have monk fruit sweetener. It's an all-natural sugar substitute, and it's kind of like stevia. If yep. you've ever used stevia, it's a plant extract that tastes sweet without the calories of sugar. Um, it's like nature's Splenda there. So somebody brought 28 ounces of monk fruit. Yeah, and I, it's, it's actually brown. I thought it would be like a white powder, mm. but it's a zero-calorie, zero-glycemic sweetener that cooks and bakes just like sugar. Yeah, sometimes it's like an orange. I don't know. Well, like I, I've used it in liquid form uh, in... I, I like it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I like monk fruit. Yeah. Um, monk fruit and stevia is a great combination to sweeten things in a natural way without using artificial sweeteners, but without um, the calories of sugar. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. Can't make kombucha with artificial sweeteners, though, or natural sweeteners. You can only make kombucha with sugar because the yeast and bacteria eat them. Eat Interesting. The okay. Um, I'm sure somebody's thought of that, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't feed the SCOBY what it needs. Uh, somebody got a soapbox. <laughs> wonder if they're going to get up on it. <laughs> no, it's actually like a little case that's like a square that fits a bar of soap yeah, in it. I use those all the time. Uh-huh. I used to use that. It was I remember it was on the camping uh, the packing list for when I went to camp when I was a little kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Somebody got an alcohol lamp. 120 mils. So this is like you pour liquid alcohol in it and it lights a flame. Oh. It's nice. pretty cool. Probably used for camping. In the Kindle Books department, we've got Angles of Attack, The Front Lines, Book 3, by Marco Kluse. Have you heard of this? No. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it's a series. Let's read the synopsis. The alien forces known as Lankies are gathering on the solar system's edge, consolidating their conquest of Mars and setting their sights on Earth. Oh, I like it already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's all you need is the first. Forging an uneasy alliance with their Sino-Russian emperor enemies, the NAC launches a hybrid task force on a long shot, a stealth mission to breach the Lanky blockade and reestablish supply lines to Earth. The Russians this sounds really the day. cool. It's Love got it. Russians. It's got aliens. All right. In the in the uh, book section, we also have the neurofeedback solution: how to treat autism, ADHD, anxiety, brain injury, stroke, PTSD, and more. I by Stephen Larson, PhD. 
Hope it works. Also. A guide to yeah, I hope it works too. Um, a guide to neurofeedback for better physical and mental health, as well as greater emotional balance, cognitive agility, and creativity. Now, what they call neurofeedback, I don't know anything about this, but is that just like self awareness, or is there something else to it? Give uh, us a book review, please. Yeah. What is neurofeedback? How does it work, and how can it help me or my family? Uh, it doesn't say exactly what it is, but it asks those questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let us know. Give us a book review. I'm curious about that. Um, in the kitchen department, we had an electric can opener by Chef Star. It's a smooth edge automatic electric can opener. Now, my mom has one of these, and it's really cool. It really does make smooth edges, and then it yeah. kind of magnetically lifts open the can lid, so you don't have to worry about cutting yourself. It's a very handy device. Very handy. battery operated. Sixteen dollar price point. That's not bad to never get cut on the edge of a can again i'm still like cranking the thing by hand i need to really get with the 21st century don't i <laughs> right, no, if you're Brian? with the 21st century it would have it would have an app that connects to your smartphone and, oh yeah. that's right yeah. and it, it would be unlocked, you how many cans you would unlock you... the can with ethereum right yeah <laughs> yeah you'd have to get enough karma points before you could actually open the can oh, of tuna that's right. yes um, you know by running around and sharing with your friends that you're having tuna and <laughs> i mean because that Something just makes sense stinks like old fish <laughs> <laughs> We've got the HDE, now this is interesting, Candy Cane Men Party Novelty Silicone Jello Chocolate Mold Ice Cube Tray. Now this is a little tray that has little, gin, it's like a mold where you can make gingerbread men and little candy canes out of whatever, ice cubes, soap, you name it. Merry we, Christmas, everybody. We also have a silicone ice cube tray, uh, snowflake ice cube tray, where you can make sh- snowflake-shaped stuff. Now, Appropriately th- shaped like a star, David. I think these are being used as um, uh, soap molds, I want to oh, say, because okay. I think I know who got them. But if they're ice cubes, that's cool, too. I would make uh, snowflake-shaped ice cubes. I should probably get me some of those. Now, this is a cool thing. We've got a Winco acrylic toothpick dispenser. Hmm. So like this is like a silo, like a square clear silo that you fill up with toothpicks. And then at the bottom, you press a little lever and one toothpick comes out. Love Have you it. seen these in restaurants? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah big I've, fan. I've seen them, too. It was really cute. Fifteen bucks. Not too bad. Um, it looks like it has a little lever that you can press to get one toothpick to dispense. Okay. That's pretty cute. You know, it reminds me of those experiments where they put like crack in a box and they have the mouse like step on the lever and they train oh, it to do something. Oh, those experiments. Yeah, those experiments. <laughs> what other experiments? Of course. Well, I heard you when they put crack in the box and it's like, oh, right. Anyway, I didn't know if this was like the, the church hearings or something. No. Okay. <laughs> um, in the office products department, somebody got an actual spiral notebook. You would think it was 1993. I it's think it's a wonderful. Mead spiral notebook. Now, Mead is still making these spiral notebooks. Five star. Can you believe it? Mead was the only brand of notebooks I bought. The Trapper Keeper. The Trapper Keeper. Holy shit. I'd still use one. Yes. Um, they got actually a pack, um, a six pack, 70 sheets per. Now, I always had trouble with these because I'm a lefty. I'm left-handed. They actually do have left-handed notebooks where the spiral is on the other side. Right. But they're kind of hard to find, and they were always more expensive. It really is a righty's world. Now, I'm not saying I'm oppressed because I'm a left-hander. Whatever. It's very minor compared to most things. But um, it is true that sometimes it's hard to find left-handed stuff, and most stuff is made for right-handed people. Yep. Casual home Montego folding desk with pull-out tray espresso color now this is really cool it's like kind of an end table type desk and it had a cool design um it's a um it's a desk that has like a little tray that you can pull out 
Um, so it's like a, like, you know, it can hold a keyboard sure. kind of desk, maybe a computer desk. And it has like um, little X's like to brace the sides. Very pretty, made out of nice wood. Nice. Um, $116. That's not bad. And then finally, the last item we have is something that Brian is probably not going to like. We have the Primary Arms 5X Compact Prism. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Amazon's giving me weird previews. Okay. Primary Arms 5X Compact Prism Hunting Scope with ACSS Reticle Pax 5X. Yeah, I've got this nothing wrong a, with hunting. This is a hunting scope. Okay, you got nothing wrong with it. Okay, good. Well, I didn't yeah. want to end the season on a downer. No, no, so no. This no. Is hunting, a hunting is scope. totally right on. It has a dual red-green illumination, five times magnification, um, and it, yeah, it looks like a pretty good scope. $292 price point. Thank you, listener. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, listener. And I happy love hunting. You. If you bag an elk, we would love to donate some elk meat to Sex and Science Hour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, send us a shoulder. Uh, yeah, send us send us the tenderloin. Um, we'll eat the shit out of it. Yes. <laughs> so thank you very much for shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. We really appreciate you, and we hope you loved our season. We certainly did. We had a blast, and we'll be back real soon with season three, Sex and Science Hour. In the meantime, have a great three weeks. Woo. We'll be right back. Enjoy our classic episodes and look forward to more debauchery and even more stuff in Season 3, Sex and Science Hour, coming soon. Yay, debauchery. Yes. <laughs>